Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to, to be here with so many of you and so uh, such a, a distributed, broad, deep heart and mind as we uh, come together for this first real um, meditation and intensive and shared practice of, of the year. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing to be <clears throat> at least on the screen sitting next to Peg and <laughs> our, our teach together as we have done so many times in that room that you just saw with, with Lori. You're going to be practicing in your own homes rather than in that particular room or in a formal zendo. So we want to make a few remarks about um, maybe how to hold our our practice uh, through these next few days. You want to say a few things, Peg? Yeah. Um, so for this very brief intensive, please be careful to follow some supportive guidelines. This helps create a container for practice that usually mm -hmm. we're creating through our mutual presence, right? Um, so the most important thing is to be on time, which means to be in this new environment online before the start of an activity. Um, and that way we can be sure that we're all starting together. Um, please leave your camera on when we're practicing together, uh, whether we're sitting in Zazen or an in inquiry or in Dharma talks, uh, but mute your microphone when we're not in some shared activity or question and answer or something like that. Um, please don't use devices otherwise, except in emergencies. It's just a couple of days. Now you're having a withdrawal, but um, it's really important to reduce our distraction from, by these screens. And we're going to be spending quite a bit of time on screen with each other. So I want you to have the relief of leaving that behind when you're not in um, the, the exact connection here. Um, <clears throat> Please avoid idle conversation and arguments and so on um, in your daily life. Keep things as quiet as you can and avoid substances that intoxicate or dull or alter your mind. You want to get the maximum benefit out of this experience. So that also means during our mindful eating practice, please keep meals very simple and quiet. Um, don't read or do anything else. Um, and please pay attention to the colors and textures, aromas and tastes of what you're eating. And also do your mindful uh, household chores. So try not to undertake any ambitious projects like renovating a kitchen. Um, just um, the simple things necessary to keep the household functioning and be mindful even in the midst of those. You'll be doing kinhin on your own, um, obviously. Uh, outdoors when possible. Um, here it may or may not be possible depending on how far below zero we get. Um, and, uh, but uh, try to um, take bathroom breaks during kin-hin 
uh, or before or after um, a talk. During all breaks, maintain mindfulness, which is that quality of alert wakefulness. It's not something to do. It's a quality of mind that is awake and alert. And please use our time together well. Um, we'll be doing inquiry. Uh, I'll be doing inquiry in the morning and Flint will be doing inquiry in the afternoon. The best thing you can do is bring your questions or concerns um, right into inquiry. We all benefit. Um, and one of the things we discovered in inquiry is that we have so much more connection than we, uh, that we ever knew. So, <clears throat> each day with the refuges in Pali, uh, they can be found in the Appamata chant book, but I'm also um, going to put them up on screen share so that uh, people who don't have them can, uh, can see them. You'll learn them quickly. They're, um, they're very um, uh, poetic, but they are in Pali, so the original language closest to the language the Buddha used. So Flint's gonna introduce us to the theme that we're working with in this intensive of silent illumination. Thank you, thank you very much uh, for helping remind us of, of the guidelines. Uh, many of you know that the um, classical or, or sort of fundamental definition of Seshin or Seshin how uh, the, the name that's given uh, from the Japanese for um, a Zen intensive <clears throat> really means to, to collect the mind. Uh, but of course, that mind is the heart and mind and the fullness of our, our presence. So we are collecting ourselves on this medium. And we are embodying something that's actually an interesting expression of the teachings because we are alone together. We're together, definitely. And yet we're alone. So you can't really say that you're just alone. You can't quite say that we're together because we're so distributed. And that, the, the not exactly the resolution, but the larger space in which that's held and understood and functions and it freely functions and is refreshed is called silent elimination. And this is what we're going to explore. Just in terms of a little background, we have previously taught on a similar topic when Peg and I, I can't remember which year it is, but we taught on um, Hong Ji's basic text on mm -hmm. silent elimination and using some of um, uh, Sheng Yun's uh, commentary on it. And, and now we're using uh, a new commentary by one of Sheng Yun's uh, Dharma heirs, a primary Dharma heir. And uh, <clears throat> I think probably most of you know of this um, text, but if you don't, uh, let's see if I can get it without it being too and we will, you can put it in the chat. And if you don't know it, it's, it's, it's quite a lovely, small uh, book. We won't just be teaching the content of the book because we trust all of you to read and to be able to study. So there's no reason for us to just repeat, but we'll be drawing from it. And it's really a, a lovely 
a lowly tax, one of those kind that is small but mighty. In other words, you can get a lot out of it, even though it isn't a great, a great tome. So as I mentioned, silent elimination is a Buddhist practice that uh, we trace back to um, Hongzhi, but even before that, uh, Huining, the sixth ancestor of Zen, or originally in Chan, and other of the early Chinese masters, took the Buddhist teachings and taught in this way. And in the Chinese, uh, in the Chan tradition, silent illumination is referred to, and, and excuse my pronunciation for those of you that are more familiar with Chinese, um, Mo Zhao, um, the uh, Mo in English transliteration is M-O, uh, suggests silent. And the English transliteration of the second part, Z-H-A-O, Mo Zhao, means illumination. Uh, and this was uh, a term that was used by actually someone who um, was a distractor, didn't like this practice very much, but actually Huang Ji, who lived from um, 1091 to 1157, uh, liked this term quite a bit and, and wrote beautifully about silent illumination and adopted uh, this term. And you'll see by the dates, his passing was in 1157, just a few years before Dogen's birth. And these teachings passed down from Chan into Dogen's teachings, which, which we'll be speaking about a little bit. In fact, in, um, in contemporary teachings, uh, a good bit of silent elimination is usually, uh, if it's not offered through the Chan uh, teachings, like we're, we're suggesting, they're usually presented through the lens of Soto Zen, which we, we practice, uh, using the term Shikantaza. It's, it's not the same thing, but that's the lens through which it's often spoken about. And many of you are quite familiar with Shikantaza, just sitting. A term uh, coined by Dogen to describe the embodiment awakening, the practice enlightenment, the one activity of both expressing one's Buddha nature as one practices. But Shikantaza is not like this distinct category of practice, um, although it's, we can say it's within silent illumination. It doesn't quite totally encompass it, but. So here's um, it, the, the bottom line right from the beginning. The, the primary tenet of Chan and of silent illumination is that, that you are already free. Your basic nature is that of freedom. But this isn't our usual feeling, of course, right? I, I don't imagine, I, I don't, most of you don't feel free or liberated most of the time. Because our thinking and our feeling with, with which we normally associate our being, the things we're thinking, the things we're feeling, both emotionally and, and embodied, are formed using self-referential grasping and rejecting or ignoring the ways we navigate experience. And these things characterize our ordinary everyday awareness. That's just kind of the way it feels. And all of this is embodied 
And it's said in Chan that we're already free. So, so this is what we're going to explore. Like, how, how could this be? It doesn't seem to be my lived experience. It's said that our natural awakened nature, which Chan is pointing to, is obscured. Um, and certainly our, um, the natural state of our relaxed, free functioning body might be burdened by some of this. These are things we, uh, I guess we would more normally experience. But by practicing Chan, by practicing silent illumination, within the complexity of daily life, and this is our opportunity, isn't it? This is what we'll be doing. By practicing within, not to separate ourselves from the complexity of daily life, we have the opportunity to highlight and reveal the places where we're deluded, the places where we're stuck, the places we're confused. And Peg's recommendations and suggestions about the ways we hold our container aren't a way to, to push away the complexities of life, but it is a way to simplify them a little bit. You know, it's, it's, it's hard enough. <laughs> so we want to uh, live as simply as we can, uh, because we're going to be highlighting the ways we feel a bit deluded. We're going to investigate some of the areas of stuckness, some confusion. And if we make it a little more simple, even in the complexities of life, uh, we, we open maybe a little more freely and, and find our way a little better. So by turning towards our habits of mind and heart and our automatic patterns that course through our body, we, we begin to become more intimate with the constructions, the samskaras, the ways we construct experience or sometimes we say our parts, which is a little more psychological, but also embodied. And because these are the ways through which we commonly live. The Buddha said that all constructions, samskaras are characterized by, by, by dukkha and by anicca and anatta, the three marks of existence. So we began to open ways for them to, these constructions to relax, and for our mind and our heart and our body to settle back into the peace and the liberated vitality of a more spacious awareness, which is in fact our true nature, which reveals our true nature. And in the process, um, it's this is a little uh, silly, but you know, We'll get those uh, uh, little labels that say, you know, no animals were harmed in this, you know, nothing is destroyed in this process. And also nothing is created. What's always and already true about our nature is simply revealed to us and to each other. Because we'll be speaking about this in relationships and in community. So silent illumination is the simultaneous practice of stillness and clarity, of quiescence and luminosity, 
It's silent and illuminating. It's similar to the very foundational Buddhist uh, meditation practices of shamatha and vipassana, of a, a calm abiding and insight. The shamatha is the silent part, if you want, and vipassana, the illumination. However, it's really important in studying and practicing with silent illumination to not think of these as sequential. They're often taught that way, and it's useful uh, and sometimes to think of them that way, especially in the beginning, that one wants to um, calm and relax the body. We'll be practicing that in a bit and focus the mind out of which um, insight might come. But we began to realize actually in this just brief introduction, and even in the beginning practices that in silence, uh, it, there is illumination. In stillness, clarity begins to be revealed as ever present. So in silent illumination, we in, investigate our intrinsic awakened awareness. That, that, that sounds like a simple sentence, but in silent illumination, we investigate our intrinsic awakened awareness. In silent illumination, we're not simply investigating our faults and fears and difficulties. That's there. But we're investigating our intrinsic awakened awareness as we settle and soften and open these ordinary fears and faults and concerns that we carry. Basically, Buddha nature that you hear so often is really just another name for silent illumination, characterized by freedom, openness, and clarity. Silence, I'll say it a different way, in the title, silent illumination, silence is a, a cipher for um, the wisdom of emptiness of formlessness, of spaciousness and stillness. Illumination refers to the, the wondrous activity of selfless wisdom, wisdom that doesn't require a, a self-thinking. And in Buddhism, that wondrous activity of selfless wisdom is called compassion. So, Silent illumination is also speaking about wisdom and compassion, which are inseparable as our silence and illumination. So they are just two ways of speaking about our natural awakened nature. They're just two ways to describe a Buddha. You know, when you see the yin and yang symbol, there's dark and light, so it looks like duality, but you know, in that dark side, there's a little white dot. In that light side, there's a little dark. There is silence in illumination. There's illumination in silence. Those of you that do um, uh, body practices, you know, in yoga, we, we talk about in, in stillness, there's a vital activity, you know, and in movement, there's stillness. And in the body, th these are universal teachings. And for Hongzhi, 
investigation uh, was not some intellectual uh, intellectual process. It was an embodied, lived, experiencing, and notice that I put the ing on it. And um, our teacher really, uh, in this commentary, really speaks about its experiencing an embodied aliveness, embodied immediacy. We don't just have an experience, a thing. We have experiencing. There is no self that is experiencing. Within experiencing, we create a self. But there's only experiencing. There's only moment-to-moment -moment experiencing. And this is what our practice leads us to. So when we begin, through our practice, to appreciate the natural expression of our mind and heart as experiencing, all things become more alive, more fluid, and intimately connected. Silent illumination is what we are. I've spoken in the past using an image, and Peg's going to give us a much more nuanced one here in a moment, of the way in which uh, maybe classical, let's say, Vipassana meditation or some of the, the wonderful teachings are like cultivating a witness that has a spotlight. And you notice, oh, there's a painful sensation in my knee. Oh, there's the thought of worry. Uh, there's a bit of, of concern or planning. Um, now there's another pain. Now it's moved to my back. Uh, a thought, I can't do this. Another thought, well, this is the best thing, you know, and we remove the spotlight and name present moment experience. That's extremely useful. In silent illumination, there is, and this is a very simplified thing, it's like switching that bulb from a spotlight to a floodlight. And suddenly we sit as, as wholeness, as fullness. And that's just a tiny beginning of the kind of shift that we'll make using silent illumination, this uh, a beautiful expression, which in some ways harks back to that phrase you've heard me use so many times, and I'll repeat again tomorrow. You know, when I ask the question, how simple are we willing to let this be? It's a profound simplicity at its base. As you follow us along, it may seem more complicated, but that's only to open up the territory so we can rest in that simplicity. And Peg's going to offer you a way to enter that through your body. So one of the things I found extremely helpful in Gobu's presentation of this silent illumination work is that we need to make some preparation in our meditation that sometimes we just sort of fling ourselves down on the cushion and think, okay, now I'm meditating. Um, but you wouldn't build a birdhouse even without assembling your tools and materials and a little plan. And so, uh, so this is his suggestion that we, at the start of our meditation practice, uh, 
do a little bit of preparation. And so in a few minutes, I'll be doing a bit of guiding as we begin this transition into our practice. Um, and I'll be introducing Guogu's methods for beginning meditation and allowing yourself to feel relaxed and engaged. So please use this method at the beginning of each meditation period during the intensive. You might begin with five minutes or so, or you may want to continue the method for the whole meditation period. It's the foundation for a strong practice. And that means we're going to slow down now, settling in place. We've all made an effort to come together in the midst of our everyday lives to clear a space for a practice. So let's begin by finding a sitting position that's upright and dignified and allows us to come into stillness and balance in the particular bodies that we find ourselves in. And take a couple of deep breaths. This is calming for our nervous system. There's nothing you need to take care of, nothing to do, nowhere to go but right here. This is such a spacious place we share of infinite size so that you could easily bring to mind a spiral galaxy or a summer night sky spangled with stars. We can easily include people living in England, in Hawaii, in Wisconsin, in Texas, and literally anywhere on Earth. So while you may be the only one in your room right now, you're not sitting alone, as Flint mentioned. There are over 60 of us gathered here to support each other and to deepen our practice. So, as you settle into an easy stillness and silence, just allow your mind and body to attend without effort, as if you were in a small boat drifting on a quiet lake. This preliminary practice begins with allowing the body to completely relax without drifting into sleep. You'll be moving your awareness, as Flint was talking about, like a warm light flowing through every part of your body. And you can just be so curious about what you can discover there. If you find stiffness, achiness, or even pain along the way, just note that and see whether it's possible to allow it to rest. Any contraction can interfere with your complete relaxation. But where you notice some contraction, don't try to force it to relax. In fact, you might actually increase the tension there, maybe a tiny bit, and then release. 
the relaxation process should not become a struggle, but a nourishing rest from struggle. And this whole process can be repeated as often as you like, creating progressively deeper and deeper relaxation. So first, let's bring awareness to the crown of your head, just the scalp and its hair follicles. Allowing that warm light of awareness to relax them completely. If you are not sure whether there is any tension there, tighten and release and feel the softening. There's no hurry. We are going to continue down through the body, but please follow at your own pace and take your time to release anywhere that seems caught. Now, feel your forehead relaxing and the tiny muscles around your eyes your eyelids and eye sockets. And allow your eyes themselves to relax, softening their focus. Let your awareness flow down your face, your cheeks, your lips, your tongue and teeth, your jaw and throat slowly unwinding their tensions. Return to the crown of your head and now let your awareness flow down the back of your head, almost like a soft caress, down over your shoulders. And let your shoulders melt like warm wax, shoulder blades sliding down the back. Now, you may notice your upper arms completely relax. And awareness forms the forearms, wrists, and each finger and thumb. Just study that experience. The upper body, upright and still, 
supports your heart and lungs, your internal organs through your vertebrae and rib cage. Feel this deep, satisfying relaxation pour into that space and well up in your hips and pelvic bones. Then spread down your thighs to your knees, calves, and ankles. Finally, feel the small bones, heels, arches, toes, and muscles in the feet, completely relaxed. So that scanning back up through the body, you have a sense of complete, deep relaxation. Together with a calm, alert, curiosity. If you are still carrying tension in any part of the body, you can repeat this relaxation process again and again. And in time, your body will naturally associate taking the meditation posture with complete relaxation. This is quite a delicious experience. Our awareness is fine-tuned using the breath as a lens. It reveals when we have shifted from relaxation to some contraction or tension. So we follow the breath in and out for a little while just noticing its quality. When we are fully relaxed now, we can bring our awareness to any underlying feeling tones. Gogu identified four helpful feeling tones that depend on our relaxation. The first is contentment. The feeling of being at ease, open, and leisurely. We are awake and alert without needing anything in particular. Notice whether that feeling tone is present in you. And if so, just delight in it. 
Allowing ourselves to feel contentment is a rare and nourishing experience. And it is an essential protection against grasping and clinging, which are a source of suffering. So while feeling contented, notice whether the second feeling tone, interest, is present. Perhaps you're looking forward to what you will discover in this intensive or how these teachings might illuminate your life. The landscape of meditation is ever-changing and always inherently interesting, always alive. So just notice whether you are experiencing that feeling tone of interest. The third feeling tone is confidence, essential to our practice. We settle deeply into our practice when we feel confidence in ourselves, in the teachings, in the community of practice. Many of us begin practice with little confidence in any of these things. And that is perfectly fine because this confidence develops with experience. But there is a kind of trust that brings you here in the first place and it sustains you on your path. So you can check to see whether the feeling tone of confidence is present. Finally, the fourth feeling tone is determination, a product of confidence plus effort. The path of waking up and growing up is our birthright. And we can claim it through our determination to own our own lives, our own minds and hearts. In determination, the Buddha planted himself under the Bodhi tree, vowing not to move until he had attained the ultimate knowledge of full awakening. This inspires our own determination and aspiration. To be sure, our determination sometimes wavers, even seems to disappear. And that is why we have each other. So part of determination is our support for each other on this path. As you cast the warm light of awareness within, is determination present? Just rest then, alert, relaxed, awake, with the mind of contentment, 
interest, confidence, and determination. And this is the way to enter your meditation practice. This is the way to take up whatever meditation method you are using. Be sure to stay curious and engaged. You never know what you'll find. So we're going to have Zazen. And um, I think we might, people might need a little tiny bit of a break, right? Maybe, uh, what do we think, um, five or 10 minute break uh, before we begin Zazen. And hopefully this little bit of preliminary process will be supportive of your practice as we head into this intensive. Appamada's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. <laughs>